0: We're going to uh, turn to God's Word now, Uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 39 to 49, which is on your sheet as well. So Luke chapter 6, verses 39 to 49. He also told them this parable, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words, And puts them into practice I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When the flood came the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Amen.
1: Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Let's repeat and reiterate my welcome, my welcome, or rather Daniel's welcome. It's good to see Father and Son in tandem up front. it would be good to uh, just share with you someone I met in this spare seven minutes that Daniel's afforded me, thanks to the good planning of British Rail, um, at least on Sundays, that uh, this week I uh, met a friend, uh, Brian and Maria Moody. Uh, Brian is the minister at Grace Baptist Church opposite the hospital. as uh, so you go up to the Wells Estate and uh, he's been very poorly for two if not three years. His wife Maria used to work alongside me as a teaching assistant in my past life as a teacher that I'll refer to shortly. She's been diagnosed with cancer of the stomach lining. She's in a lot of pain and is receiving excellent care, but um, it's very, very difficult for her. She has a lot of fluid build up on her stomach, it's drained every three weeks or so and she was given sadly false hope before Christmas that it was completely curable and then saw somebody from the Mars and said that's not true that's not the case but it is manageable so um, I'd like to pray for her uh, now before we uh, look at God's word together so it's Maria and Brian at Grace Baptist Church there's also um, uh, Aileen has caught my eye what are we talking days Before baby should come, two days, three days, we'll see. We may have our, we've had our first wedding. um, Now we may have our first uh, in-house birth. um, Maybe before midday, we're not sure. But let's pray for Matthew and for Aileen, and I'm sure they'll cover our prayers. Um, Please join me now as I pray. Father, you are a God who is rich in mercy, and therefore it is our privilege to pray as Gita prayed that you are our Father as well as our God. We. Uh, do pray for our sisters um, here. We pray for uh, Maria and for Brian, that in the midst of pain and difficulty and uncertainty, you would be their ever-present help in times of difficulty and trouble. As Christians, we can pray knowing that you always know what's best and what's right, and so we pray that you would be the God who provides. You are indeed the God who is unchanging, the Father of lights, the Father of history. And we pray to you, Jehovah Jireh, that you would be pleased to work out your uh, great plan and purpose through Maria and Brian's lives. We can pray with confidence that if it is right, you would completely eradicate every single cancerous cell in Maria's stomach or throughout her body, that you would heal her completely. And yet you're the same God who is sovereign over all, if indeed you choose not to do this, but you enable Maria and and Brian to persevere In the midst of suffering, we uh, think of the prophet Isaiah, how he saw before Jesus came that you are the God who always presents himself with people in the midst of flames, in the midst of waters, in the midst of flames that appear to consume waves, that appear to uh, overshadow us. And so what we pray for Maria, we pray also for Maya, who's here this morning with us. And we pray also for Matthew. And for Aileen, that as they expect, with joy, the arrival of a little one. We pray that they would know the joy of receiving new life into their lives. So please give those medical professionals who will look after Matthew and Aileen in the coming days great skill and care beyond the training that they've received. Please help them. Give Matthew and Aileen a sense of your peace. Please surround them with your love. Please reassure them of your great and precious promises and whether it be uh, challenges of cancer, whether it be the opportunities and joy of a new marriage or the joy of a new life, we pray that we would be a church that has a fully-orbed understanding of your sovereignty, that you are the God who can heal and save and rescue, and you are also the God who can choose to send cancer, send cancerous cells, send suffering and hardship, that you might reveal more of our own hearts, and more importantly, you might demonstrate and reveal more of your good provision to us in the midst of pain and suffering. So help us to be a church that has a fully orbed theology and understanding of suffering and sovereignty and your goodness in the midst of it. And as we turn to your scriptures now, please speak, O Lord, and help us to understand and help us to build our lives upon the rock, not the sand, and help us to be people who bear good fruit and help us not to be hypocritical, I pray. Amen. Avril Sharman was the person who taught me how to teach in my past life as a teacher. I'm not a Buddhist, I just mean in my past life as a teacher. In my previous profession, Avril Sharman was a remarkable lady, she still is, and she's one of my closest friends. But it was Avril Sharman who taught me how to teach. I, uh, by this time of my first job, had a uh, Bachelor of Engineering, no less, underneath my belt. I then uh, changed tact completely and went up to Kingston Hill and studied at the great school of learning, that is Kingston University, and there I gained a PGCE. So I had a Bachelor's of Engineering which led naturally into teaching through a PGCE, um, but it was Avril Sharman who taught me how to teach. I had studied at Kingston Hill the great theories of education, the great philosophies of learning, but it was Avril Sharman who taught me how to teach. She said this, this is the secret of being a great teacher, and she was a great teacher. You need to know how to act. You see, teaching is an act, she would say. Here's the thing you need to know about teaching, it's an act. Children do not want to know if you're having a bad day. They do need to know what you're intending to teach them. People do not, or children rather, do not need to know if you're feeling a bit kind of jangly, that's a Stokesian word, if you're a little bit upset, they don't need to know that. Don't show them, put on the mask of command as a teacher. And what's most important of all, Avril would say is, when children are doing something so naughty that it is funny, do not let on. You've got to put on the mask of command, the mask of authority, and sometimes you need to tell them off, even when inside you want to burst out in laughter. Because Avril taught me the key to teaching is to act. You've got to communicate what they need to learn, but more often than not, you need to wear a mask. You need to act. If you want to be a good teacher, you need to act. But do you know why, as I thought about this passage this week, it's not just in teaching that we act. It's not just in teaching or education that we put on a mask. Each one of us, shortly after we've brushed our teeth, having had our breakfast, having got dressed, we will put on a mask of some description. Ed Welch says that very clearly in his excellent book, when people are big and God is small. He says we are afraid of people and so we wear masks every single day. We are afraid that if people really saw what was in our hearts, they would run a mile. If people really thought how or knew how we behaved, and the night before, what we've watched on computer screens that week, they want to come, would not want to come close to us. Each one of us wears masks. We wear masks on a daily basis. If people could actually see what we truly battled with, the sins that we struggle with, they would not want to be our friends. They might expose us. They might reject us. They might ridicule us. They might attack us. And so we come constrained by fear and shame. Each one of us wears a mask. This passage in the Sermon on the Mount that we're coming to an end to, it's all about what it means to be a Christian in everyday clothes. What does it mean to be an ordinary Christian who lives in the same world that Jesus walked, the same world that the disciples lived in? What does it mean to be a Christian in concrete, everyday clothes? Last week, as we looked at it, it, Jesus was speaking about how we relate to outsiders. How do we relate to those outside of us, those different from us, those less fortunate than us, those who uh, would have it in their hearts to do us harm, those who oppose us, those who are our enemies. That's in the preceding passage, Luke 6, verse 27 and following. But this week, in the Sermon on the Mount, rather than looking outside, Jesus wants us to look in. The tone of the passage changes, beginning in verse 37. He wants us to have a good look, not outside out there, not to look at the masks that we can present. He wants us to look right inside our hearts and what's going on about how we understand, not other people, but how we understand ourselves. Verse 20 of chapter 6, Jesus is talking to anybody who would be a would-be follower of him, someone who's received his grace, Someone who's received his mercy and the internal change that that causes and the external change that that will bring bear in fruit, as it were. Jesus gives us four of his most famous pictures, four of his most famous word parables in this section. And there's far too much to say. So I'm going to concentrate just on one. And I want us to think inwardly about the change that God's grace should bring. I want us to think about the masks that we wear. I want us to think also about the planks that we have in our eyes and a tree that we all need to turn to. So it's a passage about masks and planks and a tree. Let me explain. This passage, verse 41, is where we're going to camp out and focus. It's actually about one word. Here's a one-word summary in case you get lost. This is all about integrity. It's all about an integrity that should be seen in a follower of Jesus, in a church of Jesus Christ, in a church plant in Epsom. This church plant, this group of sinful people, this relationship we have with Jesus will be seen in concrete terms in one word, integrity. We must be men and women of integrity. It's a word that Jesus doesn't use. He uses the opposite. Integrity is the positive spin the positive use of the word, but the word we find here in verse 41 is the negative term. It's hypocrisy. There should never be hypocrisy in the Christian church, in genuine relationships, in authentic lives, marked out by grace and mercy. But this passage is all about integrity. But Jesus uses the opposite word. Let me show it to you in verse 41. Right in the middle of this passage, Jesus says, how can you say to your, excuse me, back up, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye and you do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, you hypocrite, you person who's lacking in integrity. And you might think, oh, Jesus is just using hyperbole, which he is. He could have substituted in, instead of hypocrite, he could have said, you fool, or something even stronger. But actually, he chooses a very deliberate and intentional word. You hypocrite. Now, that Greek word, hypocrite, that translates right into English. But in Greek, it has a double meaning. The Greek word hypocrite is the same word for actor. Same word for actor. It's the Oscars next week and you can use that kind of imagery and the masquerade ball to understand this passage quite well. Someone who is a follower of Jesus should not be someone who acts, should not be someone who masquerades, should not be someone who wears a mask. Because all hypocrisy, said Jesus, verse 41 and following, all hypocrisy is acting which is not to say that all actors are hypocrites, but all hypocrisy is acting. It's wearing a mask, it's uh, wearing an attitude and a demeanour to hide something that's going on in your heart. Back in those days in the Greco-Roman culture, in Roman times, you literally would put on a masquerade to cover the emotions that you feel. So if you've had a bad day, but you're going to go and perform, let's say up at the Globe, mixing our time zones, you would have a happy mask on. And then you would exchange it for a different character and put on a sad face if you're playing a murderer or something like that. And so Jesus is using all this imagery and saying, if you want to be, if you want to know, if you want to live an authentic Christian life, if you want to be a follower of mine, there's no room for hypocrisy. There's no room for wearing a mask or masquerading as someone else. Because when you wear a mask, when you get up in the morning and you're tempted to put on a persona, when you walk into a school, into a church community, is very tempted to hide how you're actually feeling, isn't it? I've done it. You might have done it even this morning. You might be ashamed or fearful of something. And the temptation is always to put on a mask, to hide how you're feeling. And Jesus says, verse 41, if you look at the speck but pay no attention to the plank, you're a hypocrite. This is what you've got to do. First, take the plank out of your eye And then you can see clearly to remove the speck. It's as if Jesus is saying, there is a curve, there is an inclination, there is a disposition of my heart and the human heart in general to hide who we are, to not be authentic, to uh, be into image management, to be into photoshopping who we actually are, of presenting a profile that's appealing to other people and hides who we are on the inside. There is something in our spirit that loves to divert the attention of other people. When they question us, when they put us under the spot, we want to hide. We want to add a little bit of a smoke screen to hide how we're feeling and who we are. We don't want people to know who we are on the inside, what we're thinking, what we're doing, and so we spin who we are and how we're feeling. And hypocrisy, well, at its heart is saying, I want to hide from you who I really am. And we can do it in a couple of ways. You may have met these two characters before, not necessarily in church, perhaps in your workplace, perhaps even in your home. I can hide who I am by taking on the persona of being, well, someone who's got a judgmental spirit. You know someone, if you've met them, you've got a very hard judgmental spirit, someone who's a fault finder? You must have met somebody like that. They love pointing the finger at someone else. They love critiquing and criticising. They don't want you to grow in grace. They want to hide who they are by pointing the finger at you. And they never like having the finger pointing back at them. It's a a masquerade of protecting who they are by pointing the finger at someone else. Perhaps you've uh, also come across someone who's very, very sensitive to criticism. They're really kind of a tender spirit They can adopt the posture uh, of being so sensitive that they can never ever be challenged because it would crush them. And both people with different exteriors are actually masquerading what's going on in their hearts. You can never get too close to the fault finder. You certainly can't get close to someone who's very sensitive to criticism. And both people are trying to hide behind the masks. They're different, but they're trying to hide what they're like. They're deeply uncomfortable with the reality of their own spirit, of their own nature. There's a disconnect between who they are and how they present themselves. There's a barrier that's 10 feet thick. And the question that this sentence or two should ask you is, what's behind that? Why do I and you and those sort of other people struggle with with the mask, with hiding who we actually are, with hiding what's actually going on in our heart? With not wanting people to know what we're thinking. Why do we want to hide? It's there because of planks, verse 42. It's because of planks. The root, the reason for us hiding, says Jesus, the root for us wanting to masquerade and kid the world is actually something in our own spirits that we are desperately trying to cover up. We're desperately trying to hide from the world. The reason we're inauthentic with other people, the reason we don't want to be genuine, the reason we don't want to open up so often, or to so few people, is because we're inauthentic with ourselves. We don't want to recognise the deep problem that each one of us has, says Jesus. We want to hide behind a mask of performance, let me show you who I am. We want to hide behind a mask of success, even humility, even respectability because we don't want people to get close. Look at verse 42. How can you say to your brother, Christian friend, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? We've gone from masks to planks. And this uh, sentence is obviously understood by Jesus using hyperbole to describe a two by four that's in someone's eye. It's like a, a bit of sawdust is in someone else's eye that you want to rescue from them, but actually there's a piece of plain two by four in your eye. It's a, it's a kind of a bit of wood that you'd use to make a wall, but the word here is technical, and actually that image does not gain or get the, the freight of this word. Jesus is saying this is not a plank. Actually, this is a telegraph pole. It's that big. This is a piece of wood that is load-bearing in a house or a structure. This is like you having an RSJ to mix the, met- the metals and the woods now. It's like you having a rolled steel joist shooting out of your eye, but you're more concerned with a speck in someone else's eye. That- that's the image here. This is not a small piece of wood. This is a telegraph pole the ones that you see at the end of your driveway, or at least I do. This is huge, and yet you're more concerned with a tiny speck in someone else's eye because you're trying to hide what's going on in your heart. There's something enormously wrong in each one of our spirits, in our minds, in our hearts, the human condition, but we'd rather be critical of other people or sensitive to criticism so we don't want anyone to get close to us. We'd rather hide it and do whatever it takes to ignore what's wrong with our spirits. And Jesus says the reason we can't look at ourselves in a mirror, I've started to do that with this tummy that's kind of growing, I kind of have a cursory look look at my uh, physique, but more importantly the reason we don't want to look closely spiritually at our hearts is because the pain is too much. If we're really honest with ourselves, if we look closely at our spirits, the darkness is too dark. We know we're inadequate, we know we're flawed, but the Bible says it's even more than that. We're not just a broken people. The biblical word is that we're a sinful people. We're enemies of God. We are broken only because we're sinful. That's the problem that we face. That's the, the RSJ, that's the plank that's in our eye. We can see what's wrong with other people, but all too often we're f- far less concerned with what's wrong with us. And Jesus says there is a huge problem with us. There's a huge problem with our hearts. There's a plank coming out of our eyes. There's a load-bearing beam coming out of our spirits. And unless we deal with that, well, then we're in the deepest trouble. We spend all our life basically trying to deal with our plank, trying to hide it, trying to kid ourselves that we don't have a problem when we do, says Jesus. Jesus. We spend all our life trying to kid ourselves that we're okay. And the gospel says we're not. We spend all our lives trying to cover up this plank, saying, I will do anything I can to cover up this hole in my heart, this void in my spirit, this plank in my eye, I'll do anything I can to put up the smoke screen that I'm okay. We we'll do anything we can to hide this huge need that we have in our hearts. And the Bible says it's not just us, it's happened right from the very beginning. Adam and Eve, think about them. They're our first parents, they're living there in the pleasure and enjoyment of God in the Garden of Eden. They were real people, it's not make-believe. They're enjoying God fully, to the max, like no one ever before him. They were totally transparent. They didn't care that people saw them without any clothes on. They weren't looking at mirrors kind of generally. They were enjoying one another fully and intimately and personally. And yet what happened? When they rebelled, when they chose not to take God at his word, fear and shame and regret and pride entered into the world. And what is the first thing they wanted to do? The Bible says they they hit They sought a mask, they sought to hide, they sought to cover. And just as our first parents did, every single human being on the face of this earth does the same thing ever since they walked the earth. We try to hide and cover our great need. We try to hide the fear and the shame that we feel. We can try and cover ourselves with a relationship. If only I had a relationship, then I would be full. If only I was loved and known, then I would be fine or even religion, if I was good enough, if I worked hard enough, if I paid enough, if I attended enough, if I read enough, if I dressed up smartly enough, then God would surely be pleased with me. We're just wearing a mask of religion, or a relationship, or we can even wear a mask. I spoke to somebody last week who had an interaction with somebody who was so vehemently anti-Christianity that they were just taken aback by it. Even that can be a mask of hiding what's going on in your heart. And Jesus is saying, we all wear masks. And there is a deep problem of this plank coming out of our eye, but we're far more content to point the finger at other people. But we need to address the problem that we all face in our hearts and in our spirits. We need not to put on a mask. We need to see what the plank is. And the only way to do that is if you look to a tree. A tree. We've got this plank coming out of our eye, made from wood, not steel, but we need to look to a tree. What do I mean? Here's the solution. If we're all struggling with the uh, reality that people, if they come close to us, will probably run away. That if we're open and transparent, they actually not want to know us. And Jesus is saying, the only way you deal with this plank, disciple, follower of mine, Is actually if you go to a tree. What do I mean? The only way to deal with your greatest problem is if you, first of all, admit who you are. Jesus is saying if you admit that you're a sinner, if you admit that you're in need of grace, if you admit that you do wear a mask, that there is a plank in your eye, then actually, if you say, not that I just have a need, but that I'm a sinner, that's the only way to begin the healing process. That's the only way that you can begin a restoration to your Father and your God. I mean, everybody wants to say, I want to say, hey, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as them. But actually, the pathway to coming to know Jesus personally, and to knowing people honestly, is to admit that there is a problem. There's something much deeper going on in your own heart. I mean, look at verse 39. Verse 39. Verse 39 says, there is a problem so deep in your heart, says Jesus, that spiritually blind teachers can't show you your real need. There is a problem so deep in your heart, verse 40, that human wisdom won't reveal your real need. You'll be limited to the extent of human understanding. Verse 41, we can't even see that there's a plank sticking out of our eye. Only God can show us. That we have this plank coming out of our eye because we're spiritually blind deaf and dumb but the good news is as Daniel said earlier that Jesus Christ was the only one who saw clearly he was the one who could see right into us see through cracks in the mask see beyond the facade and see and meet our real need that's the gospel What did he do with our planks, with our load-bearing beams sticking out of our eyes? He was nailed to them. Do you see that? That's the gospel. We've got this plank coming out of our eye, this huge issue, namely of our sin and rebellion and rejection of God. And what does Jesus Christ do with that plank? He's nailed to it for our forgiveness, for our restoration, for our healing, so that we don't have to wear masks. We don't have to pretend anymore. That's the gospel. He was nailed to our beam. He was crucified upon it outside a city wall 2,000 years ago. He was accursed for us. He was shamed for us. He was rejected for us so that we no longer will be rejected. The only possible way that we can receive loving confrontation without fear without getting really angsty and running a mile when someone confronts us out of love. The only possible way is if you have the emotional wealth because of God's grace to hear loving confrontation. Or as someone cleverly said, carefrontation. The only possible way for you to become a person of integrity and not a mask wearing fake or a mask wearing hypocrite is if you understand the gospel deeply in your spirit, that you are loved more than you ever know, that you are accepted because of Jesus Christ, not because of your own religiosity. When you know that, you can take off the mask. When you know that, you can stop being a fraud. When you know that, you don't have to act anymore. You can say, I am a sinner, but by God's grace, I'm accepted because of Jesus. Jesus Christ loves you infinitely. Do you know that? Do you really know it? Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan preacher, said, everybody knows that honey is sweet, but you've still got to taste it, and then you know it in your person. You know it throughout your body. Friends, we can know the gospel, but we don't know it. We don't enjoy it, we don't live it, we don't imbibe it. And Jesus is saying, if you're a disciple of mine, you can take the mask off. If you know the gospel, that Jesus Christ loves you infinitely, he loves you always, he loves you unconditionally, because he was nailed to your being. So you can take it out of your eye, and you can stop pretending. Jesus Christ died for me and for you, whilst we were animals, enemies so that we might become his friends, so we don't have to pretend anymore. If you believe that you're saved because you're religious, you'll never be able to accept criticism from other people or confrontation from other people. You'll never have the assurance that you've done enough because you always have to work harder. But if you're saved by grace, You realise that you are loved unconditionally. You are accepted completely and holistically. And then you can deal with your sin. As God by his grace puts his finger on different parts of my heart and your heart. Slowly by his mercy so that we're conformed more into the likeness of his son. I'm saved in spite of my sin and therefore I can say simultaneously I am a sinner but by God's grace I'm a saved sinner. I mean think about Paul. I was thinking about this week, I read it somewhere. It is really interesting to me that Paul was saved by God's grace. Paul if you don't know he was the man that wrote the majority of the New Testament and he was a really nasty piece of work. He was a religious gangster. Okay, he would have had a violin case with a revolver in there and he went around killing Christians and he loved doing it. He was a zealot for it. He was really enthusiastic. He would, if he's still alive, he would come in here and he'd want to wipe us out. And then God in his grace met him and he changed his life forever. He forgave his sins. He gave him a new heart and a new passion to love and to serve the church. But just think, in the first century, Jesus Christ has died, he's uh, been raised to life again, he's appeared to, I don't know, about a thousand people at least and he saved the Apostle Paul, he's turned his life around and yet the church, the followers of Jesus, maybe there's about a thousand or three thousand Christians, it's really early days and Paul knocks on the door and the Christian opens the door and then he slams the door shut saying it's Paul, he's found us, he wants to do away with us, run away to the hills. But imagine you were Paul. How did Paul live with himself as the doors were shut in his face until he could explain his story? Here's a murderer. Here's someone who's not just breathed out murderous threats, he's done the deed, and at least he's observed people stoning and killing Christians for their faith. How could Paul live with himself? Have you ever thought about that? Because of God's grace. Because at the end of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul can say these words. Paul didn't just know intellectually, he knew it in his heart. By God's grace, I am what I am. God has seen my sin, he's seen what I've done and he's wiped all those sins away because of the cross. He's forgiven me and I've become a changed man with change and new passions. That's how Paul could live with himself because he's been redeemed, his sins have been forgiven. And so he can own what he did, but also he's owned by God and so he's got a new life and a new start. Friends, you know that you are a sinner, I'm a sinner, I am a rebel. I'm an enemy of God, but I'm a forgiven enemy of God. I'm a forgiven sinner, I'm a forgiven rebel. And that's changed everything so I don't have to pretend anymore. I can share with you appropriately what I'm struggling with. Not everything, because that's not always appropriate. But I can be honest about who I am in Jesus. And I want to speak much of him. I want to make his fame known, his greatness known. That God accepts wretches just like me and just like you too. So we can take planks out of our eyes. We can stop being concerned with photoshopping our image. Of trying to project someone who we're not. We can allow people to come close. Someone said to me recently, I love life groups. I've known people for 30 years, and yet in three months I know them better than I've known them for 30 years. Now that thrills my heart, that really does. But there's also an awareness of why has it taken so long? And perhaps it's because we can know the gospel, but we don't actually know it in our hearts. Perhaps some of us, even as Christians, have not understood that we are ransomed, healed, restored, and forgiven so we don't have to pretend anymore. We can be honest about our struggles and we can speak much about Jesus' fame. On Friday I had the great privilege of marrying Margot and Joel. There will be times, if there haven't been already, when two sinners get together and they get married, which is a wonderful gift from God, that you start to rub each other up the wrong way. But do you know the purpose in God's economy for marriage? It's not for happiness, it's not for a tax break, it's not so you can get a bigger house, that so one of you can work or both of you can work. In God's economy, the purpose of marriage is this, that as two sinners come together, by God's grace, two sinful people can start to lovingly say, you've got a speck in your eye and so have you. And they can be conformed slowly and in part towards Their future glory selves. It's about transformation, marriage. It's about transformation by God's grace that two people can rub off the rough edges and enjoy one another's company, can serve their God together, and that they can change. Jesus is saying to his disciples, in both of these weeks on the Sermon on the Mount, be who you are. Be who you are to those who are outside and live who you are inside as well. Don't pretend who you are. Learn and understand the gospel. Live in light of God's grace and mercy. Take off your masks, lay them down. And what a prayer it would be for us if, if people came in, they would say, hey, these people are real. These people are authentic. These people speak much of Jesus. They are normal people who have been transformed by an extraordinary and an all-powerful God. These are people who own their own sinfulness, and yet we stand on God's grace and we understand the gospel. And because of that, if someone is close enough to you, they can come up to you and they can say, you've got a speck in your eye. Let's pray about it. If anyone's ever done that to you, praise God for them. We want to be a church that does that as well. But only first, if we've removed the plank in our own. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that it's true truth. And thank you that we don't have to pretend anymore, but that we can be real. And if we are real, we can build our lives upon a rock that's not going to move. We can be people who bear fruit in keeping with a changed heart. We can be people who by your grace have seen the condition that we face and we can lay down our pretense we can lay down our pretending and we can live as sinful people saved by your grace help us to do that I pray amen